under the ice in the North Pole or the South Pole, anywhere across the USA, and uh, on any continent. Welcome to the Paul McGuire Report. I'm Paul McGuire, where truth is the priority. Why? Because you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Now, partial truths and illusion truths and half-truths and little white lies don't cut it. The only thing that will break the chains of you, your family, and yes, your nation. You know, if you were to look into the spiritual realm with your X-ray vision, so to speak, you would see that much of America right now, if you could see into the invisible realm, and this, you know, this, there should be no debate about the invisible realm. The invisible realm is synonymous with the spiritual world. Quantum physics settled this in the 1800s. We are not just beings that live in uh, the dimensions perceived by our physical senses, like taste, touch, smell, eyesight, etc. No, no. The world that we live in, whether you like it or not, it's scientifically, it's a fact, it's multidimensional in nature. Therefore, if you're going to perceive reality correctly, then you need to see all of reality and, and to be able to incorporate that and process that in your in your inner being and, and your mind. Okay, so if you were to look, you can look at the reality that we're in. Let's talk about America, because that's where we're broadcasting from. You can look at the reality that we're in from a number of perspectives. If you look at it from the perspectives of your sensory perceptions, you're going to come up, if you have any knowledge of history, any ability to use your reason and logic uh, left whatsoever, it's obvious where we are in space and time right now on planet Earth. And it's obvious where we're going, just based on your logical, rational, linear mind. Now, if you're to, if you want to up it, by up it, I mean take it to a higher level of consciousness. And if you want to look at America into the invisible realm, into the realm of extra-dimensional, interdimensional warfare. If you want to look at America from God's perspective, which is infinite, what you would see and what you will see right now, for those of you that have dared to look into the invisible realm, you will see an all-out war in America between the angels of God and the fallen angels. You will see an all-out war between God and Lucifer and the followers of Lucifer, human beings who are waging war against God's people, because these human beings have sold their souls one way or another to Lucifer. And then you have those percentage of people that have committed their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. And these two uh, different worlds, the world of the kingdom of God, which is eternal and will last forever and ever, amen and the decaying world, which will implode into God's supermax prison, a multidimensional prison called the Lake of Fire or Hell, where all those who are in rebellion from Jesus Christ will be confined for all eternity. And don't give me this garbage that God's not fair, because everybody who is in the Lake of Fire, everyone who went to hell, consciously decided to choose that option. They chose their destination while they were down here on earth. If you think you can just blow off the word of God, go on your merry way, and not have to deal with the consequences at the end of the road, you're grossly deceived. 
because you know what? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about any of these people. It's about God. And in America, we have this this prepubescent notion that everything revolves around us. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't. There is a king of the universe, and he is love. God is love. But in order to protect love, God must establish laws and justice, and God has to enforce those laws or justice. Otherwise, as you well know, evil would trample upon us. Anyway, if you look into the invisible realm in America right now, you'll see that cities and states and certain geographic areas are on fire in the invisible realm. And there's smoke and ashes coming up. You see in the invisible realm, in certain areas, among certain people, in certain places, you see there's an all-out war between the forces of good and evil, between bad people and good people, between the fallen angels and the angels of God, between the hybrid race of Nephilim, Rephaim, warring against the born-again children of God, or all those who are committed to the truth of God as it is revealed in the Word. So there is, a, there is a cataclysmic battle of biblical proportions, as the media always says, going on in the invisible realm. And the key truth, the takeaway, and why I have this ministry, and why I am committed to getting this message out, for some reason there's a disconnect among so many people who claim to love God. The disconnect is they think that they can be loving. They think they can be loving, yet simultaneously be disconnected and removed from the conflict between good and evil. You can't be removed from the conflict between good and evil. That may mean you, you, you are led by the Lord to deal with the issue of human sex trafficking, especially little boys and little girls, or whatever it is God is calling you to. But God isn't calling anybody to do nothing. And you can, you can justify doing nothing by taking all the Bible verses that you wish and choose to do, and take them out of context, spin them around, and turn them upside down, and come up with a false theological justification for why you should do nothing. Well, I'm not here to argue with you. I'm not going to argue with you. I present the truth. I don't have an exclusive monopoly on the truth. I'm not here to argue with you. If that's what you choose to do, then do it. But remember this, we all, including me, we all will face the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of what we did and what we didn't do. So I want to talk about perhaps one of the most powerful supernatural resources and one of one of the most powerful supernatural weapons God has given us. And before I even begin, I'm going to tell you up front, it's probably not what you think I'm going to say. It's most likely not the thing that would be on the top of your mind or my mind. This all-important force, this all-important thing that I'm going to discuss, if we learn how to appropriate this powerful force by love, if we learn to practice it, if we learn to operate in it and live in it, we will unleash millions of angels. We will unleash the power of God to drive out evil from our nation in, in an unprecedented manner. Now, what I'm going to talk to you about, very simply, is this. And it's not something that, that we should just, like, glide over when we study the Bible. The Bible tells us that the true God, 
who is the biblical God. God is love. That is the primary nature and the primary characteristic of God. God is love. And if we don't have that puzzle piece in, in its central position, our entire world, our entire private lives begin to disintegrate. God is love. Now, when I say God is love, of course, I'm not talking about this present world's system and its imperfect definition of love. As you know, there's three basic kinds of love. There's agape love, which is what I'm talking about. The agape love is the selfless love of Jesus Christ. Agape love manifests itself by serving others, by looking out for the needs of others first and not looking out for your needs first. Jesus Christ was the living embodiment of agape love, which is a pure spiritual love. It's not a pure mystical spiritual love. And that's a very fine distinction, but it's all important to grasp. I'll pick up on that later. Because you see, pure mystical love can be easily turned into a counterfeit of true biblical agape love. But love is the most powerful force in the world. And God is love. Now, theologically, God is many other things too. When we talk about the character of God, or the characteristics of God, First and foremost, and something that the evangelical church just basically missed the bus on completely, is that in the first chapter, in in the first few verses of the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, that's the first place where God introduces us to himself and his primary character. And we learn, above everything else, and numero uno on the list, that God is the Creator, capital C, the Creator God. And thus, God is not only the Creator God, but He is creative. He is the author of creation, the author of our DNA, the author of men and women, the author of all the good things and the beautiful things and the wonderful things on planet Earth. That's the first thing we we learned about God. Yet evangelicals, you know, they miss the bus. If you rightly divide the Word of God, you're not going to miss the bus. And that's my prayer and hope that this ministry, Paul McGuire Ministries, Paradise Mountain Church, helps people to use uh, an expression of what uh, uh, Dr. Vernon McGee, the, the famous Bible teacher, said on his radio program for decades. You know, he talked about getting on the Bible bus. Well, I'm asking you to get on the Bible bus. And the way you get on the Bible bus, it's by faith in Christ, not of works, lest any man should boast. But you get on the Bible bus by being at the bus stop at the right time and making sure that when you see the destination sign on the bus, that you're going in the right direction. Now, assuming you've got those bases covered, then you get on the Bible bus and you read the Word of God and you rightly divide it. So the first thing we find out about God is that he's the creator God. And as we study the Bible, we discover that God has other powerful character traits that have to operate in synchronization and in balance with 
his other characteristics. So there has to be a balancing between the creative nature of God, God's primary characteristic, which is God is love, and then things like the righteousness of God, the justice of God, the long-suffering nature of God, and all these other attributes, the holiness of God. All of these things come into play, but the central truth is the love of God. Now, this is so simple that it's that it's overlooked by many people. I mean, it's it's brilliant in its simplicity. And the truth about the love of God shines the love of God and also the light of God upon certain powerful eternal principles in the Word of God, revealed in the Word of God, where God is attempting to communicate to his people in the past and right now at this moment. Right now at this moment, God is attempting to communicate to you in your life, to people in America and around the world, and in my life. And one of the things that God is trying to communicate to you now, and that's why you're listening to this program, because it's not an accident. It's not an accident that you were drawn to listen, drawn to find out where it is on the social media spectrum. You were drawn to listen to this program because God wants to infuse you with a higher level of knowledge and understanding regarding the love of God and what operating in the love of God will supernaturally release in your own life, your family's life, the life of our nation and the life of our world. I remember when I was, you know, I was raised an atheist, I was raised an existentialist, I was raised a secular humanist, and uh, we had human love, which is uh, filial, which is the love that a mother has for her kids, or brotherly love. That's another type of love that the world knows. And then there's eros, which the world knows, and eros is sometimes defined as erotic or sexual love, or emotional, romantic love. Now, all of those things have their place, and all of those things need to be operated within their place and not outside of their place. But the the cornerstone of truth that upholds everything is the agape love of Jesus Christ, the selfless spiritual love of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, even though he was King of kings and Lord of lords, He came to the earth intentionally by the plan of the Father to demonstrate how much God loved each one of us. And Jesus was a visible example and a visible demonstration of the love of God in action. That's why Jesus Christ, despite the fact that he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, came to the earth as a suffering servant. He humbled himself, he allowed himself to be crucified or killed by sinful men so that he could take our sins upon himself on the cross, and so that we could be forgiven and born again. So Jesus voluntarily became a servant. And there's a time period where Jesus interacts with us as a servant. But then there's the the transformation, and out of God's character, you will see that Jesus Christ, because he truly is love, At certain points, when mankind crosses over that invisible line in the sand, 
God must manifest himself as a God of righteousness, a God of judgment, a God of justice, a God of holiness. And because he's love, he must use his power and he must use his force to put an end to the exponential cancerous growth of evil that is engulfing our world and our societies. We are very close. I suspect we are microscopically close to stepping over that line, the line that the human race stepped over in the days of Noah, the line that uh, they stepped over in, in Sodom and Gomorrah, the line that they stepped over throughout Israel's history, where they stepped over into the, into the realm of judgment. And sometimes they stepped into the realm to be recipients of the wrath of God. And the wrath of God is not God having a temper tantrum and losing his temper. The wrath of God is when every redemptive outreach of God towards men and women is denied and mankind spits in his face and mankind continues to willfully do evil after evil after evil, abomination after abomination, even though there are incredible warnings and God is long-suffering. At a certain point, God says in his omniscience, his all-knowing wisdom, God says in his omniscience, enough is enough, and bam, judgment occurs on an unprecedented shockwave level, a level that scientists call a human extinction level event. Bam, flood of Noah. Bam, Sodom and Gomorrah. Bam, read the book of Revelation. And so we're approaching that line. But until that happens, we're supposed to be occupying until he comes, because that's love. That's love in action. So we're going to talk about this together, and I need you to embrace with me the lateness of the hour and to join with me in true Christian unity and reach as many people as we can with a message of redemption and hope and the love of God, because we're in a race against time. So we'll be back in just a moment. Go to paulmcguire.us, paulmcguire.us. I need you to join my e-blast list. It's private. We don't give it away to anyone. I've explained why. I need you to follow and join my social media platforms like Rumble, like uh, Brideon, like BitChute and the others. And we added a bunch of new ones. You can see that at paulmcguire.us. But when you follow, join, like, uh, you help break the rigging attacks against us, which are designed to marginalize us. And so I ask you to do that, and I trust that you will, and I thank you in advance. This is Paul McGuire. We'll be back in a moment. Visit paulmcguire.us. You're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. Um, many, many moons ago, when I was a young, very young radical in the counterculture, the, the hippie movement, the New Age movement, when I was into all that stuff, one of the things that, that the Lord used to brew a growing dissatisfaction in my heart regarding all of those rebellious revolutionary movements was the Lord began to open my eyes and I began to realize that among the hippies and the radical left and you know, all these groups, the, the protesters and all that stuff, I began to notice, I began to become aware of the fact that, that there was little to no real love among all these people in the counterculture, that the leadership and the individuals involved 
it was my growing perception at the time that they were just as self-centered, just as selfish, just as greedy, just as materialistic as the the corporations and the people that they were protesting against. And I began to notice that despite all the talk, the blah, 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 blah stuff, but the, the, despite all the talk among the hippies and the counterculture and what they call the revolution or the movement at that time, you know, love, peace, would stock. Love, peace, rock and roll, or sex, drugs, and rock and roll. All we need is love, songs, people calling each other brother, uh, flippantly using the word I love you and stuff, you know, from, from a fake spiritual sense. But what I didn't see that. What I saw was incredible greed. And the people who, who wanted to share everything and redistribute the wealth were, were among the most selfish, materialistic, greedy, and conniving people I'd ever met. So, for example, factoid number one. All the drug dealers that I knew, and I was not connected to heavy drug dealers. I stayed away from that. I mean, that doesn't mean I didn't experiment with psychedelic drugs and stuff. I did. But I did not align myself or hang out with, with big drug dealers, which were everywhere. But I did observe their behavior and the behavior of their customers and stuff. And despite all the love talk, they were the most merciless, selfish, cruel, potentially violent criminal types imaginable. So with all the blah, 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 blah about love and the hippie generation, you know, and all, that was all lies. And the people, again, juxtapositioned against the people they were protesting. They were protesting the evil government, the evil corporations, the evil billionaires. Uh, well, yeah, there's, there's evil in all of those entities and people. I'm not doubting that. But the counterculture offered no viable alternative. There was no real counter to the counterculture. The counterculture and all the young people in it, including myself, we were just as selfish, if not more, just as greedy, just as materialistic as what we were protesting. And again, case in point would be the incredible greed of the drug dealers. I mean, you paid up or you might end up dead and thrown in a trash bin. Uh, the, the selfishness and the intense competition of radical leaders for fame, fortune, book deals, and movie deals, and who gets to speak on the stage. So I began to see all that. I began to see that people like Ken Kesey, these are my illusory heroes. Ken Kesey of the electric Kool-Aid acid test, you know, who drove around in a psychedelic bus with the destination sign that said further. And he and these literary giants and poets like Allen Ginsberg and others. Well, Kesey was distributing free LSD, and he would drive with the Merry Pranksters, this radical hippie group on the bus, and they would stop at rock concerts and beaches and Grateful Dead concerts and everything else. And they would distribute out of these giant, you know, containers of Kool-Aid laced with LSD. So they were giving away free LSD in the form of Kool-Aid to, you know, probably millions of people across the nation, which was a very irresponsible act, by the way. And uh, so, so, you know, in my naivete at the time, I thought, oh, he's because they were always teaching and saying that LSD expands your consciousness. Well, it does expand your consciousness, but not in a good way. Um, 
taking LSD can potentially be the equivalent of playing Russian roulette with your brain. And they're, you know, percentage-wise, um, I don't know what the percentage is, but I, I've known people personally. You know, it's a smaller percent. I'm not arguing that. But if it's you or a loved one, it's, it's everything. So friends that I had, people that I knew who lost their minds, who lost their sanity, who never were able to come back to their right mind after stuff like smoking marijuana. And people would laugh and say, oh, that can't be true. Well, it is true. So, you know, I've seen it. I'm a witness to it. And LSD is far more powerful. And I know a lot of people who, let's just put it this way, they never came back. And he died. It's a very dangerous drug. So the, the, the sucker punch was that, you know, he and Dr. Timothy Leary, I write about this deep, deep disclosures in my book, Power from on High. I mean, we, we, we dive into the depths of deep research in Power from on High. You need to get it. You need to spread the knowledge of it. At BallmanFire.us, it's on discount. So, um, they acted like they were promoting LSD because it was going to increase your intelligence. There's no evidence for that whatsoever, and that it was going to expand your mind. No real evidence of that either. And that was very naive of me to believe the propaganda. I found out later, by, by God arranging for me to be in very, very unique places at just the right time, at just the right moment, at just the right year, I would be in places where I would be able to see what was really going on. I would be in places where I would be able to see the behavior and private interactions and private agendas of the counterculture leaders, like when I was hanging out with Dr. Timothy Leary in the East Village, when I talked to Ken Kesey in Central Park. By the way, what went through my mind? What was he doing in Central Park? He was a California guy who was paying his airline. Mysteriously, I would keep running into these individuals and then have access to them. But I didn't plan for that just to happen. It was the Lord, and the Lord began to show me the dark underbelly of this whole thing. And I was discussing this with somebody the other day. I was, I, I, there was leaflets and posters all over the University of Missouri when I was there promoting an anti-war rally, a giant anti-war rally on the campus of the University of Missouri. And this was to occur a couple of months after the tragic anti-war demonstration at the University of Ohio, where Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young sang that song, you know, with the lyrics, four dead in Ohio. Well, that was about the National Guard shooting, I guess, four hippie demonstrators. They were the four dead in Ohio. So when I get to this organizational meeting at the University of Missouri for an anti-war demonstration, as I shared the other day, the guy who's leading it, I mean, you know, you have street sense. You've been around. He was definitely not a hippie. He was definitely not a radical communist Marxist. All of those types of people, you know, poets and stuff, they all leave a signature. They all have certain facial mannerisms, and they have a whole series of tells that reveal who they are. And that includes members of higher level law enforcement and the intelligence agencies and stuff like that. So this guy, whoever he was, it was obvious to me that this guy was a trained organizer, an agent provocateur. 
And he wasn't a hippie. He wasn't a student leader. He wasn't an activist. He was a G-man, if you want to just put it that way. And he took us through a methodical deep breathing exercise prior to the demonstration where we all laid on the ground. And this is a very common psychological New Age relaxation exercise where you tighten your muscles, loosen your muscles while you're doing like a deep inhale, exhale, yogic breathing type of thing. But it's also it's also useful in subconsciously hypnotic, hypnotic programming of people. So it was my analysis. I was majoring in altered states of consciousness, as you know, with the dual major of filmmaking. This is all detailed and more in my book, Power of One Eye. Uh, it was obvious this guy was a trained operator and that this anti-war demonstration that they wanted was an artificial, artificially manufactured demonstration raised up by the deep state. So, you know, there was no love there either. So all of this revelation from the Lord compounded as I saw this. You can see I justified all of this because I had a theory as a young man. The theory was that if the counterculture was led with the right philosophy and and the right belief system, that this would empower mankind as a whole and the hippie generation as a whole to evolve into, into some kind of state of higher collective higher consciousness. And in this collective state of higher consciousness, uh, we would, you know, act on love and the planet would act on love and this would usher in utopia. Now, you know, there's a lot of people who believe that. And it's a very drug-like utopian belief system. But unfortunately, if you use your rational mind and don't take an upper-story philosophical leap, as Dr. Francis Schaeffer said, if you use your rational mind, you realize it's never going to end like that because the human race has fallen. And so this is the beginning of the Lord shaking my false foundations. This was the beginning of the Lord shaking up my belief systems, like when I was walking in Central Park. and. This is a famous place in Central Park, and I used to hang out there with radicals, revolutionaries, hippies, to pick up girls or whatever. And you know, you know the place because you've seen it in many, many movies, countless movies. When Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid in the movie with uh, Paul Newman and the other blonde-haired actor, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid in the movie, they end up right there in Central Park by this fountain. And they're talking about their future plans. It's a classic scene. Well, that's the fountain I used to hang out at. Because every weekend, on weekends, there'd be thousands and thousands of hippies and young people and college students hanging out. And uh, I would hang out there. And I remember walking through Central Park. And all of a sudden, there's a new, a new group of people began to mix in with the others. And they were from... The SDS, which, as you probably know, means Students for a Democratic Society. In other words, they were hardcore, uh, potentially violent Marxist communist revolutionaries. And the propaganda on their T-shirts, they use the words love, but like all propaganda, it's a lie. So they use the word love on the T-shirt, but then they flipped the true meaning of love. So on their T-shirts for the SDS, Students for a Democratic Society, this is, you know, Bernadine Dorn, Weather Underground, forgot her 
boyfriend or husband. He was Weather Underground, good friends of Obama. Her husband wrote, allegedly wrote Obama's book about his father. These people were arrested and tracked down for bombing and blowing up police cars in New York City. And I believe, this is a long time ago, some of them may have been killed. So these were not nice people. Um, the Weather Underground. So they had their young people there. And on the T-shirt were the bold words, armed love. So they twisted the meaning of love to incorporate being armed and violence. It was, that's called propaganda and brainwashing. The T-shirt said armed love. Instead of love or make love, not war, it was now armed love. And there was a raised fist, you know, like the raised fist and all the revolutionaries have hold up the clenched fist and say stuff like power to the people, power to the people right now. Right now that's like a Black Panther slogan. But their T-shirt said armed love. Then there's this raised fist of revolutionary defiance. But the fingers on the fist are grabbing an AK-47, which is prominently uh, posted on the T-shirt they're wearing. So you see in all these long-haired kids, armed love on their T-shirts, giving out SDS revolutionary literature. In fact, sometimes they were giving out a little red book, which looked like a little red Bible, leather. But this was Chairman Mao, the communist revolutionary who brutally took over China. This was really, they were giving out the little red book, which was Chairman Mao's little red book. It was a how-to manual for a bloody communist revolution. That's how deeply these people were brainwashed. And I wanted nothing to do with it. This is why I kept moving towards higher consciousness. I was departing from this wasteland without fully realizing it at the moment. And then the literature they gave out was just, I don't want to use a four-letter word, but if you had a, a brain the size of a peanut shell stomped on in a bar full of bikers that are drunk, and you just had a little bits and pieces of a peanut shell left for a brain, you could have figured out that this armed love deal was bad news. So my dissatisfaction grew as I saw the movement, the revolution, and the same thing is being repeated like deja vu in our lifetime with different names of groups and stuff. But the bottom line is, when you have a movement that is absent of love, eventually you will have an explosion of pure selfishness, which is totalitarianism. You will have an explosion of pure domination and enslaving of the people. Because people who do not have love in their hearts, whether they're so-called Christians in America who, who were uh, going to church while they're their black slaves worked like dogs uh, on, on their uh, cotton fields. You can talk about being Christian all you want, but you don't have the love of God in your heart if you're treating human beings like that. So this is, it was a, like a pivotal struggle that I had. And eventually, by the grace of God, because I ran into later on, I ran into so many loveless Christian groups. And to this day, I would say one of the biggest problems in the Christian church is the lack of agape love dwelling in the hearts of the Christians going to the church and, and believers. Loveless uh, Christian institutions, loveless Christians. Okay, so what, let's see what the Lord began to show me. 
and again heavily through the influence of Dr. Francis Schaeffer, a great theologian and philosopher. And he actually wrote a book called The Mark of a Christian. It was a small book, but it it, it was uh, the book changed my life. And The Mark of a Christian, Dr. Schaeffer's main point from Scripture was that the most important thing is that Christians needed to love one another as Christ loved the church. And in his brilliant exposition, he explains why. I mean, it should be obvious, but he explains why. <clears throat> so one of the magnets that, that kind of pulled me into listening about Jesus was, even though it was imperfect, <clears throat> what I was experiencing at some of these fellowships and get-togethers and interactions with born-again Christians on the campus of the University of Missouri. Um, I was I was experiencing fellowship and relationships that were based on agape spiritual love, and I've never experienced that before. And I, I found it irresistible. I found it compelling uh, because I never the New Age didn't offer it, the occult didn't offer it, Eastern mysticism didn't offer it. All they offered were mind blowing experiences without supernatural love. So I'm going to read you something in the Bible, just briefly, to, to, to remind us all of, of God's priority for us. And let me read it to you. This is Paul McGuire. I'm going to read you some scripture verses in just a second. But this thought occurred to me. It's, it's one that, that I thought about a lot. Whenever I read about the transhumanist vision or the, the tech giants' visions for you know, the multiverse, artificial reality, a matrix reality, virtual reality, synthetic reality, whatever you want to call it, you know, this technological counterfeit of heaven and the kingdom of God. Whenever I read the depictions of those virtual so-called paradises, and that includes the, the intellectuals who, who created this false vision for, for a false utopia, people like Aldous Huxley and his brother Julian Huxley, and people like the super-globalist Zivigan Brzezinski. I mean, the man's, the man's dead now, but these people were monsters. You should read their stuff. It's bone-chilling. But, but I noticed that in all their futuristic, utopian-type worlds, and I noticed that in the, rea the, the real-time physical reality, fake promise of utopia-type worlds like communism, Marxism, socialism, and that would include the, the lies, seductive promises, and false vision of a global reset, they all share a, a conspicuous and very disturbing element. And that includes, by the way, what happened in history Babylon during ancient Babylon at the time of the building of the Tower of Babel or Babel. All of these utopian, heaven-on-earth type societies, all of these virtual worlds, these multiverses, these uh, technological utopias, all of them have one thing in common, and that is they are completely absent of true love. They're absolutely devoid of the spiritual agape love of Jesus Christ. They're devoid of the love of God. These are loveless, man-created realities. These are loveless virtual realities. The common bottom line theme of all of them, all of them with no exception, 
even the goal of the French Revolution by the humanistic philosophers Rousseau uh, and Voltaire or Karl Marx or uh, Professor uh, Klaus Schwab, the head of the World Economic Forum. The common theme of all of these leaders and their ideologies is, is they birth or will birth a completely loveless world, a world without love, a world without real love, where everything that is passed off as love is just a business trans- transaction. And so if you, if you zoom into that, a world without love is not worth living in. Talk about emotional, psychological abuse. Talk about um, degradation of mankind. Talk about cruelty and selfishness. Talk about leaving the door open, wide open for the demonic powers. All of that is guaranteed when you create a world without love. You know, Fui, look, look, he's dead. It's over for him. He, he made his bed and he lied in it. I don't feel sorry for him. Okay? Fooey on John Lennon. I mean, I, I would use normally much stronger words than fooey. I'm, I'm trying to be diplomatic and delicate. Every ounce of my being would, would, would prefer to use another description for John Lennon. So, but let's leave it, <laughs> let's leave it at, at, as fooey on John Lennon. Because the lies, the poison he sang in a song, he was a useful idiot. He was a stooge. The lies that he spoke in a song, imagine, imagine there's no heaven. Oh, no. We don't have to imagine there's no heaven. We don't have to imagine anything. Just look at reality all around you. This world is a world largely absent of true love or the love of God. And as such, it's a nightmare world. Now, now, you don't have to imagine that. It's slapping you in the face. Reality is slapping you in the face. The absence of love is, is the element that causes everything evil that we're seeing. The absence of love. Okay, now God is trying to teach his people, that's you and me and all people who have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. <clears throat> He's trying to teach us the power, the discovery, the liberation that true love begins, that true love births. And once again, as a reminder, communism, Marxism, socialism, fascism, globalism are are nightmare horror shows because they're loveless. They are examples of man creating a world without love. Okay, so in 1 John chapter 4, I'm going to read you some things. Uh, chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, that we love God but that he loved us and sent us his son to be the propitiation for his sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us his Spirit. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Now that's simple, but but powerful. It's powerful. Now verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, because perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he loved us first. Now, this is powerful, and there's more to this teaching on love uh, in First John, and we may get to it. But I just want to review some highlights here. First of all, the problems of, in marriages, families, relationships between son and daughters, relationships of every kind, the, 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 the biggest problem of the church and its solution can be found in the, the need for Christians and the church to walk in, to know, to be filled with the love, the agape love of Jesus Christ. So, um, the key thing here is that God is commanding us to love one another. So, that should be the number one priority of every Christian, every Christian group, ministry, church, organization. The priority is that we're to love one another. Dr. Francis Schaeffer called that the mark of a true Christian, is that they love one another. Loving one another means that we endeavor to put the needs of others above ourselves. Loving one another means that we don't put our agenda, our needs first. Loving one another means that we'll do whatever we can within the constraints that we have to to help, lift up, minister to, bless, give wisdom and healing to our brothers and sisters in Christ by loving them as Christ loved the church. So, so the secret spiritual weapon of the church in the last days is the proper understanding of the love of God. The secret weapon for the church in the last days is learning how to operate and walk in the fullness of the agape love of Jesus Christ. The vast majority of problems, the vast majority of people not accepting Christianity as truth, all of these challenges, the, the hatred of the secular world towards Christians, what, what left the door open for these spiritual attacks to occur was a lack of practice and understanding of the love of God, the agape love of Jesus Christ in our lives, our churches, our ministries, our families, and our homes. So if we want to regain territory, if you want to regain territory in your own life, the most powerful spiritual weapon you can use is to walk in love, to love one another, to love your enemy as yourself. Now, that doesn't, that's not a call to, to infinite stupidity. You need to think the, the meaning of that through. I don't have time for it now, but, but you don't misinterpret that verse, loving your enemies. And I've heard that verse misinterpreted 
And so the person who uses it out of context becomes a fool. But worse than becoming a fool, they become a soft target for the devil and every evil thing. And because of their well-meaning, if you will, stupidity, they get taken out and taken down because they develop a naivety about the fallen nature of our world, which is not a biblical worldview, by the way. So we love one another. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So God is saying, the proof to the world that you know me is that you love one another. If you don't love one another, the world has a right to question the validity and truthfulness of your faith. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That simply means, obviously, that God paid for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The amount of resources, the power of light crushing the power of darkness, the radical transformation of states and cities and communities and families for good, the key that opens the door to those powerful transformations, the key is operating in the agape love of Jesus Christ, walking in the fullness of the love of God, and acting and behaving within the constraints of the love of God. That is our secret weapon. And it glistens, and it lights up when you come near it, because it's trying to draw you to itself. Pick it up and use it, and your mind will be blown at the good things, the mighty things, the redemptive things you will see God do. Um, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. So this is so powerful. This is so transforming. This is so you know, there's nothing like this. So, in verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. So, the people in the secular world say they don't believe in God because they can't see him. So, they say, where is he? The answer that we should be providing to them is this. In the same verse, if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. So, if we abide in God, and God abides in us, and if we love one another, the reality of God will become plainly manifested to people who previously could not see him. In other words, we open the fact that we're walking in love supernaturally opens blind eyes. And, and we have seen and testify, okay, uh, verse 16, and we have known and believed the love of God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Okay? Uh, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We have love. We love him because he loved us first. 
And of course, salvation is all for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So, what is the most revolutionary, transformational force that we could unleash upon our personal lives, our family, our relatives, our community, our friends, our neighborhoods, our states, and yes, the entire nation? What is the most powerful, life transforming, revolutionary force that there is that is accessible to us anytime we choose to use it? It's receiving and walking in the love of God and loving one another. It's that simple. It's just, it's just a little reach with your hands, and you can receive it. The love of God shed abroad in your heart supernaturally by the power of the Holy Spirit will literally ignite a godly, loving revolution in your heart and in your reality. And yet, it is so often overlooked because we live in a cynical world and because, I don't know, maybe we want everything to be complicated, but this is not a complicated truth. The love of God. So, so when, see, all the problems of the world will, would be solved if people were walking in love. Now, because of the selfishness of man, because many men and women choose to worship Lucifer, not God, because man has fallen, greedy, selfish, lustful, etc., etc., and because man has a flesh, a fallen human nature, there's, there's, there's a war against the love of God. There's a, a war against us loving one another. But if we resist that temptation to enter hatred and begin to love one another, we are unleashing the power of God to redeem, to heal, to regain our nation and families on, on a level that is absolutely staggering. And this is not naivete. This is not, uh, should never be misconstrued as, as Pollyannish. I'm talking about love of God, but at the same time, you know, Christians make this difficult, and it's not difficult at all. It's not only difficult because people are making it difficult. But it is very simple to, for example, incorporate these two truths in your life at the same time or simultaneously. It is possible to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove, and yet at the same time, walk in the agape love of Jesus Christ, love one another, and love the people God puts before you. It is totally doable to take those two principles, walking in the love of God and being uh, wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. The, The proper true spirituality or true Christian life should be able to, with relative ease, practice that development of love and integrate those two principles. It should not be uh, something that causes confusion or that is perceived difficult, because it's not difficult. The the root issue is is the question of obedience. Are you willing to obey God when he tells you to do that? That's That's the challenge, not that it's difficult. So. If we were to yield ourselves by faith, repent for not having this kind of love, and to begin to operate in the love of God, we would see, we, this would fast-track a biblical revival and fast-track a biblical Third Great Awakening. In fact, I will tell you, and this is one of the reasons I wrote my book, Power from on High, it is impossible to have a biblical 
and authentic revival, and it is impossible to have a biblical and authentic third great awakening without the love of God or the agape love of Jesus Christ being front and center in the in the theological core of a biblical revival or a biblical great awakening. The love of God must prevail. Absent the love of God, you have nothing. And in fact, it goes further than that. As long as individual Christians, and as long as the Christian culture or whatever, resists God on this point of agape love, when you resist agape love, when you resist the love of God, when you resist loving one another as Christ loved the church, what you're doing is you're, you are becoming an enemy of God, whether you realize it or not. You are becoming a living impediment to authentic revival, and you are becoming an opposition force to the love of God, and it is the love of God who is God. That's how, that's how important it is in terms of priorities. Now, I, I need you to go to uh, paulmcguire.us, that's paulmcguire.us, and remember that we are attempting to teach the truth, which is the love of God, in practical terms, and the motivation of this ministry is love. It's love for you, your family, this nation, and true love is willing to confront. True love is willing to uh, raise its voice and blow the trumpet of warning if necessary. True love doesn't, you know, true love's goal is not just to schmooze everybody and, and you know, Tend everything's nice. True love has to be sometimes tough and aggressive. Not nasty or mean spirited, but tough and aggressive. That's true love. So visit paulmcguire.us and express your true love towards the Lord, because if you love one another, then you will be willing to use your resources to empower one another to spread the love of God, to spread the truth of salvation. So go to paulmcguire.us and say, yes, I will donate and contribute whatever amount the Lord puts on your heart. Become a prayer warrior for our ministry, and be sure to sign up for our Prophecy eBlast and our other social media. This is Paul McGuire. Go to paulmcguire.us. We'll be back in just a moment. Once again, you're listening to the Paul McGuire Report on Paul McGuire. Okay, so let's take this uh, basic super important concept um, that Jesus Christ is teaching us in in the uh, book of 1 John. He repeats over and over again uh, truths like, love one another. By this will all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And once again, the great philosopher and Christian theologian, Dr. Francis Schaeffer, wrote an entire book on this subject. It's a small book, and it's called The Mark of a Christian. And of course, the mark of a Christian is that a Christian loves. Christians should be known by their love, agape love, spiritual love, true love for one another. And this is repeated over and over again in First John and throughout the Bible. God is love. Now, really, from the perspective of spiritual warfare, I believe that one of the top spiritual weapons that God has given us is, and I want to say this in the proper context, I don't want to be misunderstood, but really what I'm talking about is this. In spiritual warfare, which is a, which is a battle between the forces of good and evil in the invisible realm and the physical world, 
true love is not only the greatest expression of God, the agape Christ-like love of Jesus Christ is the visible testimony in Jesus Christ that God is love. So everything that God does comes from the place of love. Now, if Christians really understood that, really had a revelation of the love of God, that would have the net effect of literally disarming our spiritual enemies. Because ultimately, we're not fighting against people. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the dark, unseen forces of wickedness in heavenly places. So, when we love one another as Christ loved the church, and this same truth, by the way, this powerful truth applies to the marriage relationship uh, taught to us by the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians. You know, the overwhelming problem uh, among marriages and marriage conflicts and divorce, etc., is a failure on the part of both the either the wife or the husband or both of them together, a failure to have a revelation and an understanding and a practice of the agape love of Jesus Christ towards one another. You see, most people get married because of the combination of factors. It used to be, but the culture has radically changed. We all know that. That doesn't mean God's word has changed. It means that the secular culture has radically changed. So it used to be throughout the majority of cultures and civilization that a man and a woman would get married because they would, well, either their parents chose their mate for them. And, and the, oddly enough, <laughs> a lot of those marriages worked out. But the overwhelming reason that people got married throughout civilization had to do with the God-given gift of both romantic attraction and sexual attraction in its proper place, uh, in its proper place, which is within the covenant of the marriage relationship. So that was a motivating force. You see, back then, the normal was that you didn't sleep with a man or a woman, or you didn't sleep with a prospective spouse, a prospective husband or wife. Um, you waited until marriage. So there was. And this is this is how intelligent God is. God placed in men and women one of the most powerful motivating desires for them to get married, assuming they're following the ways of God and the law of God. And that powerful motivator is the biological urgency and need on both the woman and the man to want to express their love for one another in the romantic sense through sexual union. And the idea was, and this is, was taught and practiced uh, for countless thousands of years, the idea was that you didn't have a sexual relationship until you got married. So there was a motivator. Now, God's law is still true. His word is still true. It hasn't changed. God's, God's definition of marriage has not changed. But the motivating force has been withdrawn from society. So now, a very sizable percentage of the population, let's just say in America, it is the new norm, so to speak, for people to live together. Uh, and then if it works out, um, the idea is you do it like a trial run marriage by living together. 
sleeping together in the full sense of the word. And then if it works out, the plan is that you get married and you have children. The problem with that humanistic-based plan is that it doesn't take into account the fundamentals of human nature. Now, I'm going to misquote this quote. I just know I am because because I I didn't (laughs) come from a farm environment. You know that. But I used to hear all the time in Christian circles, the older women, and even the men and stuff, they would use this expression, which I'm going to forgive me in advance, probably not quote accurately. But they would use an expression when they were teach when women were, were mentoring younger women. And, you know, the idea was that if you can milk the cow for free in a farming environment, if you can get milk from the cow anytime you want it, okay, then why do you have to buy the cow and incur all the expenses and responsibilities of buying a cow if you can get the milk from the cow for free? It's the ideal, it's the ideal situation, uh, not for the cow, but for the person who just wants to milk the cow, enjoy the benefits, sell the, the milk in the market square or whatever, and not be obligated. Now I understand that, that the problem with that analogy is absolutely uh, nobody in their right mind would, would equate any woman uh, with, with the term cow. That's derogatory. But once upon a time, it wasn't because we had an agricultural society. It was just part of life. So please understand that I'm not in any way, shape, or form using a derogatory or dismissive expression towards women when I say cow, milking the cow. But despite the flaws in, in the modern interpretation of that fundamental truth, that fundamental truth happens to, to, to uh, work. What God wanted was that you don't get to enjoy the, the, the benefits of marriage, the blessings of marriage. You see, your sex life is supposed to be blessed if you're not married. The blessings of marriage, now I'm not saying God's grace isn't going to be on of the other relationships, because they are going to be on the other relationships. But the blessing of God is poured out on relationships in, in, into which the husband and wife enter into a lifelong commitment, death until death do us part. And the idea is the motivating factor, especially for men, but also for women, is you're not allowed to sleep together until you get married and enter the holy covenant of marriage. Then your marriage and all aspects of your marriage has been sanctified by the Lord, which is, which is a fancy theological term for every aspect of the marriage has been been made holy and pure by the Lord. So, um, we live in this environment that, now, now here's the problem where I'm trying to get to. The person, in my opinion, from studying this, from counseling people as a pastor, what I have observed is that the person who gets hurt the most overwhelmingly is always the woman. I mean, sometimes it's the man, but the overwhelming percentage of people hurt in a living together relationship or a divorce, and it's the woman who pays the bigger price almost always. Why? Because of the psychological, spiritual nature of women, but primarily because the woman is the is the partner in marriage, the female who can get pregnant, who gives birth to a baby, and the way it works out in our society is most of the time the woman, despite her economic situation, has to take care 
and raise and be then the, both the mother and father and often hold down a full-time job uh, in, in a divorce. The woman bears the burden because there's something in the female nature, and I don't think it's so much something in the female nature. I think it's more of the sinful nature of males where they harden their hearts against their genetic offspring. So whether, you know, God doesn't want to divorce, but if they get divorced, oftentimes a man will sever the relationship between himself and his biological children birthed through his wife. And God is not happy with that. I am the child of a divorced home. My parents were probably one of the first people, because they were humanists, to get divorced in my neighborhood. Of the thousands of people or hundreds of people I interacted with growing up, I had horrible shame when I told my friends my parents were divorced. In fact, back then, you could not just get a divorce in New York City. My father had to fly to Mexico to legally get divorced from my mother. They both wanted the divorce. But I will tell you, I have spent a lifetime, and my sisters have spent a lifetime, uh, dealing with the pain, the hurt, the rejection that always, always occurs after divorce. Okay, so the point is, that's why God says in the book of Malachi that he hates divorce. So the person that I believe is most cheated in this feminist, sexual revolution, free sex environment, the person most hurt, most often, I believe, is the woman, the mother, the female. And we all know why. So if the man, and forgive me for using the cow analogy, but that's the, what the analogy was in past generations. If the, if the man, to, to be vulgar and get to the point, if the man can milk the cow and get the milk for free with no obligation or responsibility or commitment whatsoever, guess what? It's human nature. Most men will stay in bed with that woman or whatever as long as they possibly can and enjoy the full benefits sexually and romantically of marriage and make no commitment to the woman. So the woman is ripe to be ripped off. And that's wrong. That's wrong. And God rebuked the spiritual elders of Israel for making this and allowing this to be a common practice. So when it talks about love and marriage in the book of Ephesians, you can sum it down to this. If the man is truly loving his wife as Christ loved the church, which means he's willing to die for her, what does that mean in today's world? It means if a man really wants to follow Jesus, then where he's going to pick up his cross and follow Jesus the most is when it comes to being a husband and a father, because God requires, now this is a tough one, guys, but you're going to have to learn to bite the bullet. If you want to become a man, I mean a real man, if you want to see your strength, your wisdom, etc., expanded, if you want to see your territory expanded, then you need to step up to the plate and to be willing to die spiritually for your wife and children. That means you pick up your cross and follow Jesus. That's true love. Marriage, see, I went into marriage with the opposite point of view, the upside-down, secular, humanist, existentialist, playboy philosophy point of view, which was this. This was my subconscious mindset when, when I, I was going to get married. The woman, I mean, I didn't, I, I don't think I admitted it to myself, but it's what I believe deep inside, beneath the surface. The woman was there to bless me, to meet my needs. So when I thought of marriage, I never thought really of responsibility and commitment. I thought, okay, now I can have a sexual relationship whenever I want, now that I'm a Christian, and it's legal now that I'm a Christian. 
and you know she's got to meet my needs blah, blah 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 a very very infantile and immature perspective that many men still have because it's promoted in the culture so you love your wife as yourself you love your wife and you're willing to die for her and your children that means on a day-by-day basis what what you learn supernaturally and this is the ticket to ride what you learn supernaturally is if you will die to yourself pick up your cross and follow jesus and serve your wife as Christ served the church, what you will inevitably find is that you will prime the pump of the rivers of living water, and they will pour out of your wife and out of your children, and you will be blessed beyond anything you can imagine. But it will be a blessing that includes every aspect of marriage, but it also includes you'll unlock your identity identity to be a true man, not a boy. Now, so women get hurt in this thing, and that's not right, okay? I'm, I'm not here to, 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 to preach a woman shouldn't have a job, and all this legalistic stuff. I'm not here to preach that. I'm here to preach the truth that will set you free. So, and, and, and see, once upon a time, there was a motivation for people to get married because, because society frowned generally, the whole society frowned on people who lived together without being married. Okay, now. That's one practical area. Another practical area is the moment-by-moment choices and attitudes and plans and goals and social interaction and career decisions, all of that stuff that we use to navigate through life should be based on the agape love of Jesus Christ, first and foremost. But what we have and this is what's hindering revival. What we have is men and women who are getting their values, their game plan, their their identity from people in the world. And I'll give you one example, a takeaway. I've been in many business meetings, business deals with hierarchies of top executives, regular salespeople. So I've been around the block in many different industries. And what I've observed and what I've seen is that many times Christian businessmen will, well, Christian businessmen should be more disciplined, more motivated, more, more accountable, and more, more on top of the job. Christian businessman or businesswoman should be than a secular person, for starters. But then secondarily, when they have to make those tough decisions like firing somebody or letting go of a particular division, when they have to make decisions that can potentially hurt others, if you have to make those decisions before the Lord, you have to make those decisions. But I have heard this expression used constantly throughout my life among Christian businessmen, and it's, it goes something like this. It's just business. Business is business. So, so what that means, in a clever kind of way, what that means is we're going to make tough, totally cold, self-centered decisions because it's going to increase our bottom line in profit. And our justification is, Business is business, or it's just business. And the unspoken verbalization of that is that you are creating a law that's humanistic, pagan, and you're creating a law that's in contradiction to God's laws when you say business is business, or it's just business. Because inevitably, when you use that term, it's just business, or business is business, uh, it's used as a means of justifying incredibly selfish and sinful behavior 
that can often damage people. A case in point would be all these people who are in positions of responsibility in, in major corporations, and they know that their product and service, for example, is not good for people's health mentally or physically, or it's toxic, or, or there are other decisions you can make that would generate the same profit that would be more loving and kind. But you go for the cold, brutal approach, and you harden your heart against the facts that your product or service is hurting people, but you sell it, promote it, market it, merchandise it anyway, and your excuse is the, the, the glib statement, well, it's just business, or business is business. Well, let me tell you something. That is not going to fly when you stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ and give an account for your life. Yes, you, you have to be a good businessman or a business businesswoman. There are certain principles that need to be applied in order to make a profit. But there are other things, choices and decisions, that, if you're really honest, they're essentially evil and self-serving, and they exploit. Um, I could name a hundred examples. I don't have time. But but business, so, so business is business, or it's just business, is an attack on, on the law of God, which is based on the love of God. How we can create a spiritual revolution in America is only when we truly cop to the fact that we are fallen people in our inner man or woman. And that's you, that's me, and every believer. We're a fallen person saved by grace and merited favor. Now, if we want to see revival, we have to set people free in our nation. Not the Marxist way, that's insanity and suicide. Not the communist way, that's also, that's drinking the Kool-Aid of Jim Jones in the cult where they all died. Not ways that, that are satanic and deceptive, like Marxism, communism, socialism, fascism, which promise heaven on earth, but actually make people slaves and bring about hell on earth. We incorporate kingdom principles based on the law of love. Now, this is the final statement here, though. We all know that there's a pro proliferation in the Christian culture of laziness, irresponsibility, lying, a lack of diligence, a lack of professionalism, a lack of knowledge. It is epidemic in the Christian community. And every one of you know what I mean. How many Christians have you met that are sloppy, not dependable, uh, lie and cheat in, in their sales and marketing? As a, as a general rule, not entirely, but to a significant extent, the reputation of Christians in the business world, in the professional world, is somewhat lacking. That needs to be repented of, not by business as business, but we need to give our businesses, our jobs, our callings 100% diligence, professionalism, accountability. Okay, that is love in action. So the evil one and the globalist elite use the media and other means of mass mind control to constantly stir up race wars, division, greed, hatred, division of every kind in our nation. When I walk around America or speak around America, I have spoken to all kinds of people from all kinds of racial and ethnic groups, and I have seen a love and a harmony and a desire to heal that is quite visible all across America, but you'll never hear about it in the media. So if we want to ignite true revival, let us remember that true revival and the love of God, the agape love of Jesus Christ, goes hand in hand. Thank you for listening. I need you to go before the Lord and ask him how you can join with this ministry, Paul McGuire Ministries and Paradise Mountain Church, in reaching our nation, reaching the hearts and minds of our nation before it's too late.
and love translated into action produces results. So I need you to ask God how much or if he wants you to donate or contribute to this ministry. I need you to be prayer partners. I need you to sign up for the e-blasts and follow and sign and like all our social media. We are in this together, like I said the other day. Uh, so let's carry on and let's believe God for victory. God bless you. This is Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.